1 Chronicles chapter 22. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And so David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints, and bronze in abundance beyond measure, and cedar trees in abundance. For the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house uh, to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house in the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood, and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quietness to Israel and in his days. And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond measure. For it is so abundant, I have prepared timber and stone also. And you may add to them. Moreover, these are the workmen for, with you in abundance, wood, woodsmen and stonecutters, and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. David also commanded the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that it may be built for the name of the Lord. And Father, we thank you so much that uh, with this, Lord, there's a great picture for us, a great encouragement for us, that, Lord, you have provided all that's needed for your temple to be built through your chosen king. And Father, we pray that you would use this time to stir us up, that we would be strong and of good courage, that we would be those that 
set our hearts to seek you, to know you, to arise and build in your name for your glory. Father, I pray that you would help us today to have hearts of worship as we hear your word. And you would help us today to respond in worship, to love each other according to your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. So we, we, it's important that we never forget, in 1 and 2 Chronicles, we have the author writing to a group of, of people who had been in captivity and are now back in Jerusalem rebuilding Israel. These are people that, many of whom had not seen uh, Jerusalem in its glory, many of whom uh, are going back feeling maybe a bit insecure and defeated. And these are people who the author wants to encourage that God still has a plan for him, that God's promises to his people, specifically the promises that he made to David for his people, those promises are still going to come to pass. And so to encourage them in this, he's preaching a series of sermons based on the history of Israel. And we've been talking since uh, chapter 17 about how uh, we see David as the peak of, of that history because of the promises made to him. And as, as the history of Israel continues to be unfolded, we're now getting to a place where it's going to transition from David being king to Solomon being king. And so in chapter 22, we begin this transition that will carry on through the end of 1 Chronicles. And so today what we're seeing is basically David knows that God hasn't called him to do the building. You remember in chapter 17, David says, I want to build God a temple. God says, no, I'm going to build you a temple. I'm going to do it for you, David. I'm going to, I'm going to give you all these great promises so that you and all Israel know it's me who does the saving. It's me who does the, the, brings the provision. But David knows that he can still be a part of the process. And so his part is really going to be to gather the materials for his son Solomon. Now in this, we get to see some great things. We get to see some great parallels to how our, uh, our great king, God's chosen king Jesus, the son of David, how he's provided for us. And I really hope as we go through this that we're encouraged to know that God can be trusted. That what we have in Jesus is enough for us as God's people to be built up as the temple of God, the place where God dwells. So let's pick it up. I'm going to give you three main things, three things we want to see about David. First is this, David gathered abundant materials and workers. Look at verse 1 again. It says, then David said, this is the Lord's house, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Remember, this is from, we saw this last week, that the author is trying to show us, this is how the temple got, came to be built in Jerusalem on this particular hill, Mount Moriah. And so as God leads him there to show him uh, his character, what he wants from the temple, David's like, this is the place. And so what does David do? He begins to gather together, it says in verse 2, he commanded to gather together the aliens who were in the land of, uh, of Israel. Now don't think men from Mars. <laughs> think basically, um, think of those who are like resident aliens. I'm a resident alien of Great Britain. I have permanent residency. You can't get rid of me unless I commit a felony. And soon, we're gonna, our family's going to have uh, citizenship. Woo! Jolly good. <laughs> can't wait to be British. We 
we're going to have citizenship soon, so we won't be aliens anymore. But the point is, he says, I want these guys to be gathered together. And he says, and, and from these guys, these are some skilled people, gather them together so that they can help build the house of God. Verse 3, he says, he begins to prepare in abundance all the materials, iron for the nails and the joints, talks about cedar trees. And in fact, it's interesting, if you look at verse 4, cedar trees in abundance, it says, for the Sidonians, those are Gentiles, and, uh, and those from Tyre, those would also be Gentiles, brought much cedar wood to David. So in other words, what David does here is he gathers what we might call alien resources or Gentile resources, listen, for building the temple of the God of Israel. So God chooses a people, Israel. And he, and, he, and he sets them apart from all the other nations. Not because they're better, actually because they're smaller and weaker. He chooses them to build them up, to grow them, to be a light to the rest of the nations. And so it's not an accident that David does this. David's not just looking for cheap labor. Though there could have been some of that. David is doing something that we know is prophetic. It points forward to what God wants to do. Now it's it's important that we understand this. Because the Bible's really clear that God has always, His plan has always included aliens. Or those outside of Israel. Gentiles. In fact, I don't know if anyone here, is anybody here ethnically Jewish? You know for a fact you're ethnically Jewish. Anyone? Not a single one? Oh gosh, we need to pray for more. Oh yeah. Oh. Fourth generation. But still, hey, awesome. Yeah, I, yeah Neil has some, uh, some Jew, uh, Hebrew in himself. But the rest of us, that means the rest of us are Gentiles. And so the fact that God has always desired to include Gentiles into his house, into his, his kingdom, is good news for us. Now, now here's the interesting thing, okay? We know from Genesis chapter 12, way back when God begins to build the nation of Israel, before Israel even existed, there was one man, Abram, and his wife, Sarai, and God made these promises. You can look it up later in Genesis chapter 12. He promises that from them, He's going to make a great people, a great nation, that will bless all the other nations of the earth. Always been God's plan to do this. Also, listen, you read the law of God, the law that God gave to the people of Israel, and He commanded, listen, He commanded that the the resident aliens be treated fairly. In fact, I give some references, again, you can look up later, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29, 16, verse 11, and 24, verse 14. And those say, respectively, that the that, that people of Israel, God's people, were to make sure that they took care of the resident aliens. When people came into their country, they were to take care of them financially, to help them get on their feet. Listen, it says that that they were to include them in the worship. They were to call them to worship the God of Israel. In fact, that was kind of a a prerequisite. If they're going to come, they need to worship the God of Israel. It it says that they they were not to ever be taken advantage of because they were strangers or resident aliens. And God says, this is why, because you were strangers and aliens in Egypt. And you know how hard that was. And so God says this to them. Also, listen... The scripture tells us that, it, that when Jesus came, that his work through his death and his resurrection, he allowed these aliens to come into God's household. Again, look, you can look at Ephesians chapter 2 in your own time, but it says specifically in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has taken Jews and Gentiles and he's brought them together in Christ to make one new nation. That doesn't mean God doesn't still have a plan for Israel, but that's another Bible study. But God has made us one nation in Christ. 
And also, this is, this is amazing to me, when you get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and you see how all the stuff ends. This is, the, this is why we have so much hope as Christians, because we know how this stuff ends. It's tough now, but it ends for good. Amen. But this is the picture that we see in the book of Revelation. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 5, a beautiful picture. It says, and they sang a new song. Saying, this is, this is all of the nations around the throne of God. Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. They're singing to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Woo! This is our future. Now, this, the reason this is so important because, is because we're obviously talking about a situation where these people have come back into Jerusalem after being in captivity, wondering, you know, we're weak and we're small. How are we going to stand up around these nations? What's our relationship to these nations? And so the writer's wanting to encourage them, listen, God has made promises that he's going to use you to bless the nations. And the temple is part of that. In fact, if you, if you notice... It says in verse, uh, in verse 5 that, that, that David says this, this temple needs to be famous and glorious throughout all countries. In other words, the, 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 the motivation to build this, because all nations build temples to their gods, so the motivation to build this was to say, look, we need to make this in a way that reflects something about our God. In fact, let's look at verse 5 uh, all, all together. It says, now David said... Uh, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. In other words, he's kind of telling to himself. And the house, of, uh, the house uh, uh, to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. Famous and glorious throughout all countries. He says, and I will, make a, uh, I will make preparations for it. In fact, you notice this word used all over and again, over again. Abundant preparations before his death. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for abundance or abundant is used, I think, seven times in this chapter. Over and over again, he says it. In fact, I want you to skip over and look at verse 14. In verse 14, David says to, to, to Solomon, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord God. 100,000 talents of, of gold, 1 million talents of silver, of bronze, and iron, iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. Later on, he talks about that the workmen are also in abundance. He says, of the silver, bronze, and iron, verse 16, there's no limits. Now the idea here, and there's, there's different ideas about the numbers given. Some people think that he's exaggerating for effect. Other think it might be some sort of typographical error. Other think, no, God just provided some massive amount of stuff. But the point is this. The author of Chronicles wants the readers to know, listen, they went to extravagant means to build this temple. Why? Because the, the magnificence of the temple is meant to point to God's magnificence. Amen. Right. The immeasurable materials are meant to point to God's immeasurable worth. Now again, before you think I'm going to talk about our building, I'm not. Because don't forget, we're the temple. So the parallel is really less about us. It's not about us building a building at all. It's about us building up one another. That we would be the kind of people, that we'd have the kind of relationships that, that point to God's magnificence. That point to His great and everlasting love. That we'd be the kind of people that, that show that, that God is worthy of the investment of our entire lives. 
Now, if that stresses you out, in saying that, if that makes you feel bad or worried, then, then the, the, the issue probably is, is that you just need to draw near to God. Because if that stresses you out, you're probably thinking, oh, I've got to do more for God, I don't do enough for God. But the issue is, when you draw near to God, then you are like David, just saying, man, spare no expense. Whatever God wants me to do, that's what I want to do. Now, I, I want to point to one of David's psalms, Psalm chapter 68. It'll be on the screen. Some of the verses, at least, will be on the screen. I think they are. Yep, yep there they are. In Psalm 68. Now, David probably wrote this psalm when they brought the ark into Jerusalem. So before they built the temple. And this is significant. Because he's talking about how the ark represents the presence of God. And he's celebrating the God of the ark, not the ark of God. Listen to some of the verses from Psalm 68. He says this, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Summon your power, God. Show us your strength, our God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. He writes this before the temple is even built. He says, you, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. And the God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. See, this is it. David's motivation for bringing in this excessive, abundant stuff was not because I want this temple to look awesome. It was because my God is awesome. We want people to know how awesome our God is. Do you know how we do that now as New Testament believers? We do that by loving each other. I'm not just talking about niceness. I'm talking about a commitment. If you're here today and you're not yet a, a, a Jesus follower, I really do pray. We were praying this morning, and I, I pray again right now, Father, that, that, that God would show you His love through how we love each other. Because that's what He wants you to see. That the love that we have for each other is not because we're the same, but because we have the same God. It's not because we always like each other, because we don't. It's because we know we're loved by God. That testifies to God's goodness and His grace. Now, so this is David. This is why David's gathering all these materials, right? But also we see that David gives Solomon a sacred responsibility. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, David calls for his son Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Now this idea that he charged him, it's really important that we see this. David's not saying... To, to, uh, to his son Solomon. Solomon, I really see that you're gifted and you could really build a great temple. I, you know, it's your life, but you know, if this is what, if you think this could be good, I think you'd be great at this. You should build a temple for God. This is not a father exalting a son towards a career. Nor is this David saying, oh, oh man, the temple was my dream, so I'm going to enforce my dream on you, son. Parents are good at doing this. Parents are good about, oh, I could have been a great athlete, so now I, I lost my chance. My son will be a great athlete. We're really bad about that. Or I could have been a great scholar. My son will be a great scholar. We do this kind of stuff all the time. But this is not what David's doing. David is not saying, here's a command because of my dream. David's not saying, here's an idea for your life. David is saying, this is the will of God. The charge means he's given a command. He's, he's basically saying, this is not my idea. This is God's will. That you do this, Solomon. God chose you for this purpose. And he tells us why. Look at verse 7. He 
He says in verse 7, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house through the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. He says, God says, Behold, a son shall be born to you. He shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, which means the man of peace. For I will give peace, uh, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. Now this is important. What's going on here is that um, God's saying, God says to David, David, you can't build the temple because there's blood on your hands. Now God's not saying, David, your wars were unjust. That's not what he's saying. We know that in context because God commanded David to do these battles. The issue is not that David was involved in ungodly wars. The, the issue is, as the warrior king, the, the temple might give the wrong message if he's the one who builds it. Because God wanted his temple, God wanted the place where he dwelt, to be a, a house of peace. And so what does he do? He says, you're, you're the king, but I'm going to choose the prince of peace, Solomon. I'm going to choose the prince of peace to build this. Now, who else is called the prince of peace in scripture? Jesus. Jesus is called the prince of peace. That's what we, we, we see this at Christmas, don't we? That in the birth of Christ, they say, he's the one who's going to be called prince of peace. But the point is, in our context, that basically God's saying, listen, no, I want this to be, my house to be a house of peace. Therefore, I'm going to do it in, during a peaceful season. I'm going to do it with a peaceful king, not a warrior king. So that people know the message is, this is a house of peace. Now, this is important. It's important because the Bible talks a lot about peace. And we have to understand what the Bible means by peace. There's two really important things that I want you guys to get about the peace that we're talking about here. This first one is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The scripture says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Now, now understand something, okay? If you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you don't believe that He died for your sins, that He rose from the dead, that He's God's only Son, you're not... At peace with God. Now don't get me wrong. God wants there to be peace between you. But you're not. You may try to get peace with God by trying to be a good person. By coming to church more often. By doing a lot of religious acts. But the Bible says, listen, you are at enmity with God. This is who we are before we become Christians. We want to rule our own lives. And that puts us against the one who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not the fact that God says, um, we need to make him king. It's the fact that he already is king and we rebel against that authority in our self-rule. So there's no peace between us. But the good news is, is that God sent Jesus to make peace with us. Now usually, it's the, it's the party that's the weaker one. Oh, we're going to lose the war. I better make peace with my enemy so I don't lose the war. That's usually the way it works. But here, in the scripture... God who loves to do things in reverse. The conqueror comes and says, Look, I could wipe you out, but I want to make peace. And so I'm, instead of punishing you for your rebellion, I'm going to take that punishment on myself. And this is what, what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 5. This is what Christ has done for us. 
through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, he's made us able to have peace with God. So that we, we're no longer God's enemies. We're, we're now not just even just his friends, we're his family. He adopts us into his family. We actually get to inherit all that Jesus gets to inherit. It's an amazing thing that God does for us. You can have peace with God. In fact, I would say to you, if your life is topsy-turvy, if it's just kind of falling apart, maybe the issue is what you need most is peace with God. Maybe this is God allowing the difficulties in your life, and I'm not making light of those things. Seriously, I, I don't know what trials you're going through, the difficulties you're going through. And, and listen, we don't want to make light of that. We, we heard for you. We'd like to help you with those things practically if we can as well. But maybe what's happening is God is allowing those things to show you what's really missing in your life is Him. You need a right relationship with Him. And that can only happen through Jesus. Now some of you, or most of you here, are believers. You know you have peace with God. You understand the, the good news. But you're not feeling much peace. You're anxious. You're worried. You're uptight. Well, listen, Jesus provides for that kind of peace as well, too. Listen to this. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what happens? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. See, what's great about the peace that God promises, the peace that Jesus promises us, it's a peace that doesn't mean our circumstances are going to immediately change. Sometimes God does that. It's awesome. It's awesome when we're sick and God heals, or when we're broken, God provides, or when we're just depressed and God lifts our spirits. It's awesome when He does that, but it doesn't always happen immediately. But what can happen immediately as we go to God is we can experience a peace that really in some ways doesn't make sense. We're like, I should be so anxious right now, but I know God's in control. So you might just be wrestling, still feeling anxiety, but you also have a peace that God's in control. See, the peace of God is a gift to us who have peace with God. Does that make sense? This is what we're offering. This is what Jesus is offering. Now, just going back to our context, this is why God says... David, you can't build the temple because it's going to give the wrong message. The temple is not a memorial to war. It's a house of peace. I want all the nations to know what I've done for you, Israel, I'm willing to bring them into. That they can also have peace with me. Now, look at verse uh, 9. I'm sorry, not verse 9. Look at verse uh, 10. Look at verse 10. It says, And he shall build... A house of my name. This is uh, David continuing to tell Solomon what the Lord has laid out. Solomon shall build a house of my name, and he shall, notice, he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Well, this is great, because what you have here is, is, is David, as he's laying out this sacred responsibility, he wants to make sure that, he, that, that Solomon understands this is not some sort of dreadful obligation. Like, oh, this heavy burden i got to do, even though it is a big job. He's saying, this is really about loving obedience. And the first thing he brings up to him is the promise that God makes that, listen, Solomon is going to have, listen, a privileged relationship with me. You see, to be called the Son of God is not a, a light thing. 
It's a huge thing. It's not our, our privilege or, or it's, I'm sorry, it's not our right. It's not our birthright to be called sons of God or children of God. So when God says he's going to be this way with Solomon, Solomon's going to be my son, I'm going to be his father, he's talking about establishing an amazingly privileged relationship. And what's amazing about this is God makes this promise to David before Solomon's even old enough to respond. In other words, it's a promise that's got nothing to do with Solomon. It's got to do with God being a good God who makes a promise. It's grace. God's undeserved favor. God makes this promise. Again, this is what we have in Christ. God makes a promise to us in Christ that we are sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. Listen, you don't have a right to be a child of God. You're a creation of God, absolutely. You have value because you're made in the image of God, absolutely. But you don't have a right to be a child of God except through the work of Jesus Christ. It's through the work of Christ that we can be adopted into His family. And listen, when you put your faith in Christ, you know what happens? You're adopted in the family. You are a child of God. A son or daughter of the creator of the universe. That's amazing. That's the privilege He gives us. It's the position that we build from. Now David goes on to say to Solomon, verse 11, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, Now my son, may uh, the Lord be with you and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you, only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. So in other words, here's what he basically says to Solomon. Solomon, you have this great privileged position, but I'm also calling you to walk in obedience. God calls you to walk in obedience. In other words, Solomon, it's not just about you building this beautiful house. It's about you walking in obedient relationship with God. Now, here's the thing that's really important. God's promise to Solomon is based on the assumption that Solomon's going to cooperate with him. Now, don't see that as a conditional promise as much as it is God knowing that this is what he does. See, God saving us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, doesn't mean that we don't cooperate through the process. This means that we don't have a, a, a responsibility. What's a responsibility? An ability to respond. God speaks to us. He shows us himself. He makes promises to us. And he says, respond. Believe the promise. How many days till Christmas? 20, 30 something? I think 31 days till Christmas. 31 days till Christmas. It's, imagine, it's Christmas morning. And you've, if thought, you've been thoughtful about giving that certain loved one just the perfect gift. You've thought about what they'd want. You've sacrificed your hard-earned money to buy that for them. You place it there under the tree, if that's your tradition. And then on Christmas morning, you go, here it is, my present to you. And they go, that's beautiful. And they put it right back underneath the tree. They don't unwrap it. They don't access it. They thank you for it. Oh, that's nice. They might even hold on to it, but they never open it. Is the present any good? No. no. Still there, but until you open that gift, you don't access it. God's offering you the gift of His own Son. This is how we have a right relationship. 
God offers us a, a, a relationship with Him as child to father. He takes care of our needs. He cares for us. He disciplines us. But He calls us to respond to Him. We cast our cares on Him in prayer. We trust His direction for life. We obey Him. See, the issue is it's not so much a condition on, on Solomon getting the temple built. It's, it's the... It's the um, Environment in which the, 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 the temple would be built. It's not a condition on our salvation. It's the assumption that we're going to cooperate because we want that salvation. Uh, a friend of mine asked uh, his Bible college professor, can, you lose my sal- can, I, can we lose our salvation? Or can you lose your salvation is how he posed the question. Can you lose your salvation? The professor wisely asked, answered, why would I want to? Why would I want to lose my salvation? Now if you think, oh no, I'm going to fumble, it's going to fall out of my hands, you're misunderstanding the grace of God. The issue is, if God's given you this great gift of His own Son, He's brought you into His household that He's building through faith in His own Son. Why would you not want to respond to that? If that's the offer. And that's the offer. Now look at the second part of verse 13. He says, listen, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now this is, if you recognize those verses, same thing that Moses said to Joshua when Joshua took over. When they're entering the promised land, remember Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. But Moses messed up. He couldn't take them into the promised land. So what happens? His assistant Joshua does. Now in case you didn't know, Joshua or Yeshua is Jesus' Hebrew name. It's Yeshua that brings us into the promised land. And so he brings them into the promised land. And when he goes in, here's what Moses says to Joshua. The exact same words. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Why say that? Because listen, when God calls you to a great task like this, you have to believe that God's going to enable you to fulfill that task. When God says to you, believe, you've got to believe he's going to give you the faith. To believe. If God says walk, you got to believe He'll give you the ability to walk. This is what He's calling us to. This is what's great because David did give Solomon this sacred responsibility, but his calling is his enabling. You might be sitting here today going, man, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can believe. You can believe. You already have faith. It just might not be placed in Jesus. The choice you have before you is, am I going to take the faith that I have in my own intellect, in my own experience, and am I going to transfer that faith into the Lord Jesus Christ who's been revealed through Scripture? Listen, you might even be in a place where you're thinking, okay, I do believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to the end. This is hard. Well, let me tell you what the Scripture says. Listen to this. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you that set you apart through and through may your whole spirit soul and body that's everything about you be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that would be judgment day listen the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it if you're not a Christian today God is calling you to believe if you are a Christian today God is calling you to continue to believe and he who calls you is faithful and you can trust him See, the message of Christianity is not try harder, it's trust. 
It's not try, it's trust. Trust Jesus. So David says to Solomon, Solomon, you got this massive, huge, sacred responsibility to take what, this promise of God and to respond to it. But you can trust that what God has called you to, He will enable you to do. Lastly, David doesn't just call Solomon. He calls the leaders to help Solomon. Look at verse 17. We're almost done. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? Has he not given you test or I'm sorry, rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before, uh, before the Lord and before his people. So do you see what David's doing? He's saying, listen, I'm going to call you to something here, guys. He calls them together. I'm going to call you to help. I'm going to call you to help my son Solomon get this promise of God up and running. You're going to help him respond to God. We're going to do this together. And I want you to do this based on, listen, based on the provision of God's rest. That he's already won the battles for you. Now I love this because the truth is is that when God calls us to rest, rest is not the ceasing of activity. That's not what rest is necessarily. Rest is, rest is the establishment of peace. It's the ending of war. It's the acceptance that God has won the battle. And God is saying that to these guys. Listen, I'm calling you to help, but it has to be in the provision of God's rest. One of the things that's difficult, in fact, I want to say right now again, thank you for all of you guys that serve on a team at Servants Church. More than half of the people who call Servants Church their home commit to serve on a team. Plus people do a whole bunch more besides that. So you guys that are serving on a team, I just want to say thanks so much. It really is a blessing to all of us when we serve each other. It's a good thing. But I also want to encourage you in something, okay? I do know how hard it is to do it. I, I love coming to church on Sundays, but don't think it's, it's easy. There's lots of mornings I wake up and thinking, do I really need to go to church today? Yes, I'm the pastor. I've got to go to church today. <laughs> it happens. I know that when you're thinking about looking after the kids in children's ministry, you're like, Lord, my kids are a household. You're multiplying that by 10 when I go to church. I know when it comes to sort of doing all the ushering stuff, you think you're going to just help them to their seat, but it ends up being this huge, huge responsibility. I know that you're, you love the worship God, but you get up here to sing, and then there's just feedback, and you miss the note, or you're like, ah, and you're feeling on the spot, and it's hard. I know it's difficult to serve, but listen, can I encourage you in something? Serve from the rest that God has provided. Don't see the work as, okay, I'm going to do this because I really want God's peace, and then maybe if I work harder, I'll get God's peace. It doesn't work that way. Serve God from this position of rest that you have in Jesus, and let your service be worship. Let, 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 the, let the, the, the three to five hours it takes the, to do kids' ministry the week that you're on, let that be worship. Let the prep time before you get here be worship. Let the time you get here set up be worship. Let the time that you're enduring those kids kicking the shins be worship. Let it be worship. Because this is actually what David's calling the leaders to do. He's calling them to a worshipful work that's done in the provision of God's rest. Look at verse 19, the first part of verse 19. He says, 
Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. See, this is the difference between work and worshipful work. Work is just fulfilling a task. And don't get me wrong, it's important to fill tasks, fulfill tasks. We have a lot of tasks that need fulfilling. But worshipful work is, listen, when we say, Lord, I want to do this as unto you, I believe if you say, seek my face, there's a promise in there that your face can be found. Folks, do you really believe, honestly, do you really believe when the scripture teaches that when you're doing anything, and I'm not just talking about work here, when you're trying to put a house fire out as a fireman, or help a patient as a GP, or teach a class as a teacher, or put together the wires in the right way as an electrician, or make someone's toilet work right as a plumber, <laughs> or whatever it is that you do, if you do that work, do you believe that God can show yourself, show himself to you in that? Because he can. And he's calling us to that. Do you believe that God can show yourself, show himself to you as you ush? Or as you serve in Sunday school? Or as you sing on the worship? Do you believe God can do that? As you're thinking, okay, I want to serve other people. Can God show himself to you? Not only can he, that's exactly what he wants to do. This is what God's calling these guys to. He's saying, listen, God wants to show himself to you as you actually build the temple, as you engage in that work. See, this, the issue is, the work that they're doing, it's not the price for God's presence, it's the opportunity for God's presence. Do you understand the difference? They're not earning God's presence, it's just an opportunity to experience God's presence, to know God better. Do you remember when God uh, spoke through Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 29 and said that the Israelites are going to go into captivity for 70 years and when you get back, you know, I'm going to build you up. He says, this is why we, you have this verse, well, you guys have this verse somewhere in your home where he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know my thoughts towards you, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He gave that to people he's about to send into captivity mm. for 70 years. He says, this is, this is good. This is for your good. It's to prosper you. After 70 years, he brings him back to the land. Well, that promise goes on to say, listen. You will seek me, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You go back to the land. You go back to rebuild Jerusalem. Here's the deal. If you want me in that, guess what you're going to find? Me. If you want to work, if you as a Christian, a Jesus follower, only want to work so you can earn money, if that's your only motivation, then that's all you're going to get. But if you want Jesus and you work for Jesus, you're going to get Jesus. If your only motivation to serve in, in any ministry you serve here is because you want John to get off your back, then you all get off your back. But that's all you'll get. If you want Jesus, you'll get Jesus if you serve him for that reason. If you seek him, you'll find him. This is what David's saying to the leaders. And lastly, verse 19, he says, listen. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. And we're going to see in a few chapters where the purpose of the house of God is a place for God's people to gather, to meet with their God. 
See, here's the issue. Worshipful work is in the provision of God's rest. It's toward the experience of God's presence, but also it's for the benefit of God's people. I, I, I know that sometimes you're going, Lord, I want to see you in this, but I am not really seeing you in this. But are you okay if you don't see Jesus as much as you want to, but somebody else does through your work? Are you okay with that? You know, sometimes I'm up here and I'm preaching, and sometimes I'm going, man, God's really using me. And sometimes I'm going, this is just a waste of my time and their time. And I go home and I sulk before the Lord. That happens. Most Mondays. (laughs) (laughs) But the reality is, if you benefit from it, even if I don't see it right away, it's worship. Hey, let's, let's keep this in mind. God has provided for us his house. Let's arise and build. Amen.